2: It's Wednesday, which means it's time for the front three with me, Adam Boltwood, the one and only Lawrence McKenna. Wednesday. Wednesday. And the King of Stats, Dave (laughs) O'Brien. Hello, chaps. How are you? Doing very well. How are you, Dave?
3: Yeah, I'm excellent. Very, very good. How are you, Lawrence? I'm good. Well, I went to
2: the game last night, so I was freezing, but it it was good. Oh, very exciting. We'll get onto that very shortly. We are going to be talking about the FA Cup, we're going to be talking about ticket prices, Mourinho, Leicester City and Tottenham's sort of title challenge, plus journalist Owen O'Callaghan will be joining us later to discuss this week's talking point, which is Gary Neville's struggles at Valencia. Before all that though, comment of the week. Now if you want to be in with a shout for comment of the week, make sure you get on your podcast app and leave us a review and preferably a five-star rating. Uh, On the iTunes reviews. this week we had... Silver linings saying, I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I oh. do, it's tf free Very good. nice. We also had Ollie6000 saying, better than MSN, um, which is very nice as well. I- I MSN. God, oh, that's my favorite messenger. He is my favorite. <laughs> but comment of the week has to go to Daniel D 12345 who said, I nicked my mate's phone to rate this five stars. I'm <laughs> sure he'll love it. <laughs> what so, an
4: absolute <laughs> ledge.
2: Well done, Daniel. Appreciate Not it. Not stealing, though, but good work. <laughs> It's not theft, it's short-term
3: borrowing. Yeah, it's fine.
2: right, don't <laughs> worry about it. Right, right. Anyway, let's get yeah. into it. We have to start with the FA Cup, Lawrence. Liverpool obviously knocked out by West Ham last night in their fourth round replay. Clock questioned the referee, said the Reds were the better team. You were there, obviously. Would you agree with that assessment?
1: Uh,
2: I think Liverpool, again, lacked finishing. Uh, but,
3: you know, it was a, over two legs, I think Liverpool can be very pleased with what they saw from their youth. it was fantastic. It was great to see Coutinho back for Liverpool. Liverpool fans are really getting on the back of Migno and Benteke right now, which I find difficult to be around because you know I think it's so short termist in the way they treat um the players um but West Ham also played played well and you know that they had certain players in there that I, I think they'll consider to be fringe players so I'd say overall both both, both sides you know if they could if they, they would have gone through, I would have been happy with that um, but having seen what West Ham did, I think you know, they would like to win something in their final season at the Bowling ground. I'm glad I got to go there before they sort of left because it is, it's a great atmosphere. You know, if you go there, it, it, they don't have their own version of you, you know, and I'm forever blowing bubbles. is very different. But the atmosphere is fantastic. And, I, you know, uh, having gone with the FA again and seen it, you can go and see the video and how it all played out on their YouTube channel.
2: How exciting.
3: Yes. Kl- exciting. I think Klopp needs to... I think at some point we need to see the practicalities at Liverpool. Um, And I imagine that will mean a a new striker coming in alongside Benteke. The best combination of the whole night was Sturridge, Origi and Benteke, Mm. who were all furious with each other when they didn't get passes and and the ball went over. And to some extent, I I like to see that because, um, you know, as frustrating as it is, they look like a good combination. All three of them sort of bring something different. Yeah. So it, it, was, it was exciting, I think, last night to what'd see what, of,
2: what the possibilities are. What do you make of Liverpool's complete failure to, to continue to fail to descend set pieces then? Or is that kind of a bit harsh, considering it was the last minute of the game? Everyone's exhausted. Or is well, no, you, should have a
3: man, you should have a man on the post there. And so there, some uh, responsibility goes on to Klopp. Um, it was the very last minute of 120 minutes. So I wouldn't say it's sort of normal, uh, your normal uh, set piece. But, and again, you know, West Ham are the kind of side who, uh, you know, they, they would like to do well on set-piece against Liverpool because they have two centre-backs. It's Lucas and Hillary last night um, alongside two relatively young uh, wing-backs. So it's not that Liverpool have had their usual back line. Um, and, you know, that will never be a starting uh, lineup on the regular for Liverpool. Having made that excuse, or what is not an excuse, um, you know, Liverpool still need to be able to defend better than that. Um, and I think they'll be they're disappointed for that reason. Mm. Um, you know that you can deflect all you like, but I think ultimately Liverpool should have scored more in this game because they definitely created enough chances. And, and you know credit to West Ham for doing what they did. Do
2: you think Liverpool fans are just sort of waiting for the season to be over now? Because
3: I don't think I, I don't think that would be the best best approach to take. Mm. Uh, but it's obviously you know that's that's the way it is. Um, in terms of the way that a lot of fans see it. I think they should be treating this as a very practical way of looking at the way that Klopp wants to play this side. So I think there's a lot of promise within there. Um, you know, Some people are predicting that it won't go so well for him, but I think when you're in this transitional phase, then there's, it's very difficult to judge. You can go either way, essentially. Mm. Um, I would say Liverpool fans are waiting for next season, but that would be wrong to do because actually the team there right now can do some very impressive things. So live in, live in the moment! Do you
2: think think that this team can do impressive things because they're struggling to do anything remotely impressive at the moment?
3: Uh, Well, no. I mean, having been at the game last night and seen some of those uh, chances, I think there are some impressive players within that side. And there's some very promising youth that put themselves about well. You know, you had Stewart in the field, um, Teixeira just ahead of him, Smith, uh, Liverpool's left back, and uh, Flanagan on the other side, who still looks like he's a little bit too muscular to be playing at a full-back position. Um, so there's a lot of promise there, and yeah, you know, I, I was impressed by what what Liverpool did on the counter attack as well.
2: Storage was on there, you know. I
3: think that's fantastic mm. for
2: him. Well, speaking of Liverpool, Lawrence, speaking of Liverpool fans, we can't ignore the ticket price route that sort of erupted last week. Um, for those who don't know, in terms of Liverpool, what sparked the whole walkout protest at the weekend?
3: The 77 pound uh, figures sparked the whole walkout process because. Um, uh, you, know, you know, whatever your wage is, £77 is still quite a lot of money to go and see a, a team, uh, whether they're top of the league or whether they're further down. And, you know, uh, they compare that to other ticket prices. And you might say, you know, relatively, you, uh, sometimes that's going to be competitive. That's not £77 for the entire season. It's a variable price, but that's £77, which is still a lot for someone in Liverpool. Doesn't mean Liverpool is poor, it just means that, Mm. you know, their relative wages. Yeah, in general, uh, that's a lot more than anyone. Um even paying £77, whether it's entertaining football Mm. or not, is still a lot to go and see football. And the point is not so much the actual figure itself as why they've why they've done that. And I think overall it's a poor PR move by FSG to do. And I think a lot of the press has jumped on that and sort of said, you know, they're they're not in uh, Touch with the fans, I think Ian air dealt with it terribly by saying things like, you know, be careful what you wish for, the previous owner said that. It was just, it was a series of things where they gave a lot of bad headlines. And, uh, you know, it could have been dealt with a lot better, almost in-house, if you like. If they'd have spoken directly to the fans, they'd make some very direct statements about why they're doing it and explained it much clearly, clearer than they did. I think people would sort of say, especially if they'd have said, this is what we're proposing, how would fans feel about this? I think that would have been a much better way to do it. So it's clear that they've retracted, uh, they've, they've almost introverted into themselves at this point and sort of gone down the route of, well, you know, we'll assess what we're doing here. But they must have had a reason that they thought they could justify that with. Um, a lot of people are angry with FSG because that's clearly not in touch with, you know, uh, the, the main uh, supporter base and it's clearly trying to attract a certain kind of fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so overall, it's about, for me. I think there needs to be a lot more understanding between fans and the owners. They have mm. not been terrible owners. They're not these, you know, they're not cowboys who come in to rip people off. But at the same time, they don't need that money. And all you need to do is compare it with Bayern Munich, who said if we put ticket prices up another ten pounds, we make a million more pounds a year. Makes What's a no million pounds exactly. to us?
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, well, Dave, this feels like a real turning point. I think. I think it's fantastic the action the Liverpool fans took, and the the, the coverage is gone is very encouraging. And now the F- Football Sports Federation is talking about planning a, a wave of mass walkouts by fans of all Premier League clubs um, in the future. It does feel like uh, things could change. It feels like this is a key moment. Yeah, it's, it hopefully it is. Yeah, it seems really strange at
4: Liverpool. £77 to go and see Jordan Henderson and James Milner. No thank you. But it's, it's one of those things where it feels like Klopp's pulling the, trying to get the fans really, you know, trying to get them onside in a way where Um, you know, he did the thing with the players and they they saluted the fans or whatever. They bowed to the fans, which I really, really like. I like that type of thing. It's something that happens in Germany every single week. Um, And it feels like Klopp's trying to get the fans in, trying to get them, like, really behind the team, really supporting the team. And then this move by... the, the sort of the owners is completely crazy going the other way, right? You know, charging X amount of money for tickets. When you look around the world, you go to you get a Bayern Munich season ticket for less than a hundred pounds, the cheapest ticket. Like the average Premier League uh, ticket price, I think it's the cheapest one's like three hundred and eighty nine pound or something like that. And it, there was just a ridiculous amount of clubs that you could go to that would be cheaper than that, like Real Madrid, Barcelona, Bayern Munich. And it's just crazy. I think the Premier League should they the clubs should change their business model in a way where they should. You know, less the ticket prices should go down because they're getting so much money in revenue from the the TV deal. It just seems that they should be like, okay, let's you know, let's get the fans for the games, let's get the you know, get the support, get the atmosphere going, and then deal with the money side of it with the TV money. It just seems a bit all over the place with all these Premier League clubs. I think that I think there was eight clubs that um, blocked the cap of the away prices for thirty pounds last week. I think it was it was Man United, Man City, Arsenal, Liverpool, and West Ham. I think. And these are all, you know, these are clubs that are gonna be getting loads of money from the Champions League, loads of money from the Premier League. So why not make sense, does it? Why not yeah, it doesn't make sense. I don't understand.
2: We should say as well, it's not just England. It's not just the Premier League, although they are without a doubt the worst culprits and the ones that get the most flack. But we saw last night in Dortmund Lawrence that Dortmund fans were not happy themselves. They staged a protest, throwing tennis balls onto the pitch to disrupt the game, sort of boycotting the first 20 minutes of the match because they weren't happy with mm. Stuttgart charging them. I think it was, you know, a quarter of ticket prices were over €70 Euros for the away fans. So mm. it's not just in England, this is elsewhere as well, even in Germany, where we're saying the system is much fairer.
3: I think it, I, to some extent it does make sense because it's what a lot of people have bought into. Uh, uh, although, you know, a lot of people are talking about whether they feel almost hijacked by the fact that football has been made into a business. Um, you know, and people, you know, the, the, the whole football, uh, fans as consumers thing doesn't work. Uh, you know, if, if you want to go to another club, you can't, you can't just change, you support midway through your life. So it doesn't work. These guys uh, exist within a bubble and, uh, you know, they, they justify it by saying trite phrases, which don't really mean anything to each other. Um, I, d- I don't believe that every owner is like that. Um, but there's certainly sets of people who don't seem very understanding towards, fans and that's the problem is that uh you know there, there's there's enough uh, freedom of information right now that actually just looks ignorant by the clubs when they act like this um you know i understand you know why you want to make money from away fans and you know how you don't want to make it a comfortable situation for them etc but it still doesn't make sense to be charging such extortionate prices um there's not much more that anyone can add to the conversation until someone actually does something about it so what well, our hopefully club's gonna more do. Gets about?
2: Done. This is this is what this is what I think is almost exciting really. This feels like this is uh, the turning point, potentially. Obviously it could go either way. Yeah. But if these protests continue, if they continue to grow and they hit boards and they hit clubs where it hurts be it in their wallets or be it you know empty stands Mm. that could make a massive difference so the thing is but
3: we've we've already concluded
2: and I think you know it would be
3: a stupid point to say look they can fill a stadium no matter what whether the regular fans go or not the point would be that there are to some extent it's like a picket line there are uh, you know whether you want to cross the picket line or not there will be people who want to go into the stadium whether the club charges too much or not because, you know, it might be their only time going to see the club and those kind of things. Uh, but the point is, that's not a sustainable business model. You can't keep screwing your fans over and expect them to come back. So, you know, when people say enough of is enough, I think they're right in saying that. Um, and, you know, 20 is plenty in all these kind of campaigns. It just makes sense to you know, be kind to the people who you're servicing here, because, there's just there just doesn't seem to be enough thought mm. in the long-term process, and you know that's what the, the you know the money and uh, those kind of things create. They create this kind of atmosphere.
2: Uh, I think on the, the smallest level so far, it's encouraging that you know, the Liverpool hierarchy apparently held a meeting over the new ticket structure after the the walkouts. That sort of sparked them to actually. But you'd have game. hoped
3: they'd have done it before. You, you would, would have hoped that it wouldn't have had but to. I think be. that shows that think, the action is effective. Uh, yeah, because it's they have to be enough. made to
2: listen. They're not going to listen by themselves because, as you yeah. say, they, they yeah. don't put enough consideration into it. But, listen, fingers crossed. Hopefully, things are going to be moving in the right direction from now on. Um, moving on, Dave. A little bit of news this morning. Back page of three of the biggest newspapers over here in the UK saying Jose Mourinho is told his close friends he's joining Manchester United at the end of the season. Are you happy and do you know it, Dave?
4: Um, I, I am definitely happy and I, I do know it. I think You're that with. To
2: clap your hands,
1: mate. That's you
2: know,
4: nice, nice. With Bardiola coming into the Premier League, there's only one answer. I said it before and I'll say it again. It's got to be Mourinho. Um, <sighs> I think that we've got to, you know, as a as, as United fan base, we've got to appreciate other contrasting styles of football and Mourinho is going to be another one. I think what we've forgotten about Mourinho is that he's a winner and he will get a team to win and he'll get
3: players to overperform. I uh, you know why again? we forgot that because they didn't win when he left.
4: But but I get what, you, of, get what your point is. You know what I mean? Like, the first two years Mourinho's there are ridiculous in terms of um, getting the most out of these players. You know, look at all the young players at United, like the likes of Martial, the likes of Memphis Depay. They'll be perfect under Mourinho. Mourinho's a really good counter-attacking manager. These players have pace. they're young, they want to learn. They could be, you know, that's the real sort of uh, in- interesting thing there that... Yes, um, we've seen Man City be we've got dismantled at the weekend against Leicester City, playing a very like sort of dogged counter-attacking style. When Guardiola comes in, it's going to take that possession obsession even further. So with the the only answer is Mourinho. I'm playing on the counter attack and sort of enjoying that. I think that's the thing. It's got a. I feel that uh, at, you know football at the moment. It's sort of a lot of hatred around around United at the moment. Like there's a lot of oh this is going wrong, that's going wrong. I'm, in, I'm included. I've I've vented a lot of anger on this podcast of late, but I feel that with Mourinho. Let, you know, let, let, let's just get behind him and, and support him and uh, you know, love his style of football. I really enjoyed this weekend Leicester City versus Man City because it was the uh, two contrasting styles um, and then one style won over the other and that's why it was so interesting. Tactically, it was so, so interesting. You know, playing that 4-4-2 block, counter-attacking in that certain way. We all know what Leicester City are going to do, yet they're still doing it and I think that's Mourinho will be similar to that where he'll, you know, in the big games he will um, you know, play very negatively but he'll win those big games.
2: Speaking the thing, of Leicester, Dave, you're talking about how they actually destroyed Man City at weekend. Yeah. They're now surely are they favourites for the title now? I, I, you
4: know, I'm gonna to have to go back on what I've been saying for the last like three months because I do believe now. You believe, Dave? <laughs> I believe, believes. I actually believe. After watching that performance against Man City, it was absolutely brilliant. You know how many? You know the. What I really, really liked as well is just the structure of that team and how quickly they get back into shape. It's so, so quick. The transition going forward is rapid, and the transition getting back into defence is just fantastic. And it's So, that's what we need. Our, that's what we need our big um, English teams to do in Europe. They just need to do what Leicester City are doing. Play that way. Get compact. Look for the balls over the top. Look for you know, having someone like Mares to get the ball to his feet and then for him to break. Gives them that sort of second dimension. Obviously, they've got the Vardy pace over the top or around the corner option, but a you know, what a player this season. What a player. Definitely, for me, he's definitely my player of the year. And that goal, fantastic. You know, beating two players, super, a lovely step over, bangs it in the top corner. And then as well for the first goal as well, he basically like, you know, he did cross the ball and whatever was a bit of a mistake for Man City. But before that, to win the free kick, go back and watch that. He hmm. absolutely burns Kolarov on the outside, absolutely destroys. him. we all think Mares is, you know, stronger left foot comes inside, goes the other way, gets round him. It's just like... I, don't, I didn't think that I'd ever see a team that can compete at this level for this long. Always and thought they were going to drop off.
2: Always going to thought they'd drop off. And it's about, like that they're still going. Lawrence, what about a team that plays that style as well? Because I thought they're playing this blistering, counter-attacking style. You know, absolutely incredible. But I was shocked that Man City weren't wiser to that. And they failed to deal with that.
3: I mean, see, the thing is with Leicester, right, it... it is, does anyone else have this feeling you know when they go into the game so people sort of go right this will be where they trip up because Man City yeah. got this this and this is that, and then post game underestimating them still I don't know if it's underestimation I think it's um, you know I think we talk in very sort of uh, we, you know to some extent it's underestimating but I think what I'm saying is um, we like talk an
2: arrogance to it maybe
3: well maybe not but we talk in very sort of cliche terms in football and you know there are some truisms which sort of keep going which I agree with you know you uh, know uh, you know if if Leicester do keep this going then it will be it will be very impressive because it's one of those things that goes against the grain of everything else we've seen in football um but so you get this feeling post-match of well actually yeah that does make sense so I think it's more that the analysis needs to take a step further and you know we need to find the right framework to fit this Leicester side around to be able to analyze them so when you sort of go to Ranieri and all the different variables, you see why it works, and you can see why it works for Mars and why it works for Vardy, and how there will be certain teams that will work well against that. But that's been the case with the Premier League entirely this season. That you know there are some things that look unpredictable, but actually when you look back post game, you know I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but the point would be you can't you know you sort of go yeah that works perfectly. Of course that of course that's why Leicester won this game, and so it seems that Ranieri has the foresight to be able to outthink these managers and what I would say is whilst it seems like that can go on forever that has to be a sustainable model Mm. and there's there's going to have to be investment that's made by Leicester in terms of wages and those sorts of things to make that sustainable to make that go on in the long term because Man City will buy Manchester United will buy Liverpool will buy uh, Spurs will continue to get better and other Mm. teams will continue to get better around them and we've seen other teams You know, in inverted commas, overachieve, because I think that's patronising to uh, to let's say they're overachieving right now. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there has to be something that keeps that going. But in this very moment, it doesn't take away from the immediate achievement. And it doesn't take away from them possibly winning this title. It's a really interesting point of like, where do they go next?
4: Right. You know, if they do win, the let's say they they do win the title um, and then they keep Vardy because he's obviously signed a new deal. You know, potentially they'll keep him. Mares, if they keep Mares as well, what what would I do to sort of develop the side further? I'd say probably you get two new centre backs in. Robert Hooth and Wes Morgan have been very very good, but they are susceptible to you know players running at them pace. We saw a few moments against Man City where Aguero, when he got a little bit of steam, you're thinking, oh boy, those two centre halves are in trouble. So I'd upgrade those two. I'd also look for another outlet. Um, I think that you know Mares is quality on the right. James um, Bardi's good up top. I think an attacking midfielder or a Maybe a second striker that gives him a little bit more of a goal threat, you know, to um, soften the burden to Mares and Bardi, that would be quite good. So, you know, attacking mid, two centre backs. I had a question from a fellow from Peru on Twitter, and I thought it was incredible. A well, lad from Peru asking me a question. So, I'm going to answer his question. That's what me, That was my answer for his question
3: there what I do oh, right. to
4: improve Leicester City.
3: <laughs> Dave there using this as his own
2: public uh, speak box. Well done, Dave. Uh, speaking Thanks, of the mate. other, uh, we're talking about a title challenge here. The other team. Looking like they could be up there, guys. The mighty Spurs. Second place at the moment. We said a few weeks ago, you know, if they avoided the sort of classic Spursy results against Sunderland Palace, Norwich, Watford, you know, we could sort of maybe include them in the conversation of a realistic title contender. I'm not letting myself believe just yet, but, Lawrence, what are your thoughts? Do you think Spurs are, are in there? Five points behind Leicester at the moment?
3: Well, they're as in there as anyone else are, aren't they? And again... Uh, it's changing the perception and where we saw things before. Um, you know that there's a really interesting media theory about um, how whenever a new piece of technology comes along, we as humans we find it very hard to judge what the effect of that is going to be. And you can very much transpose that onto football. So, for instance, when the internet came along, we looked at the technology had come in the past and we thought, right, how's that going to fit in with everything else? But as it evolves. It's very difficult. It becomes easier to see how it's actually affecting everything else. I think you can say the same with Pochettino. It's very difficult to predict exactly how it was going to go with Spurs and how he was going to change the mentality because that seemed so fixed. And I think, you know, what I said at the beginning of the season, I still stand by, the Spurs mentality, and Adam, you've got to say this, it's changed under Pochettino. And, you know, it looked very unlikely that he'd be able to do that because of everything else that had happened at certain teams. But now it seems sort of very realistic Mm. and and seems very sort of, again, oh yeah, of course that's happening because of everything that's going on.
2: For me... I was disagreeing at Salah's season that the mentality was the biggest problem for Spurs. I think the club was poorly run. Sure, I mean,
3: you can change your words now, mate, but the no, podcast... I think I, I did say that I
2: listen. disagree the biggest problem for Spurs' is mentality because we had so many awful players, so much dead wood, the money had been horribly misspent, managers were being sacked left, right and centre, the right managers weren't being appointed. But as soon as you appoint the right manager, who has you know, the right ideas, gets rid of all the bad eggs, as Harry Kane called them this week brings through young players with a lot of promise that the transfer policy is actually something based on you know something tangible something clever everything comes together and i mean you see something similar at Leicester as well as soon as they get the right manager in as soon as the the, the tactics are right the personnel's right all the conditions are in place to to make a success of it i feel and like that's what and- yeah, that, that
3: kind of st- ties in that whole famous Steve Jobs speech where he says you can only really join the dots backwards. But that's maybe part of the point of being a manager, I guess, is that you have to be able to look forward and say, right, we want to reach this dot, this dot, this dot and this dot. And if your communication is clear and your vision is clear, then
2: very often that, that will happen. Problem, if you have people around you who share that vision. The problem for Spurs maybe maybe the massive advantage for Leicester. We're talking about everything falling into place, the conditions being, right, Leicester have 13 league games left to play. Mm-hmm. The likes of Spurs, Manchester City, still in the Europa League, still in cup competitions. Do you think that's going to have a big impact on the title race? Because for Leicester,
4: it's potentially
2: a lot simpler. They don't have to play anyone else, I think, in the top five no, from now point. until the end of the season.
3: Yeah. Although you'd say the top five is probably some of their easiest <laughs> matches this season. <laughs> well, you <laughs> could say that. <laughs> because um, the, 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 point, the point would be, uh, you know, there, there is a big relegation battle going on. There are yeah. a lot of clubs that are susceptible to that right now. that that makes those the harder to judge games almost. Interesting. Um, You know, the ubiquity of sort of wealth at the top of the table has almost led to a kind of um, an inertia that's set in. And, you know, we've leveled that at Man City for years, but we haven't leveled that at Chelsea or Liverpool or any of those other guys. Mm. And now, looking at the way the table lies, uh, you know, we were saying Liverpool, Man City and Arsenal look like the hardest games. no. (laughs) It's the games no, after yeah. that. The clubs well, who are yeah. all worried about relegation. <clears throat> I'm
2: feeling quite confident going into this weekend against Manchester City. Obviously, a huge weekend. Spurs v Manchester City first. Dave, I'm you know I'm thinking Spurs are going to win this one. How are you feeling? What's your prediction? But, yeah, well, if City um,
4: sort of set their midfield out like they did against uh, Leicester, they're going to get hammered on the counter attack. You know, it was ridiculous. Why have you got a single holding Fernandinho? Who isn't even a holding midfielder, and then there's no. There's no protection in front of him from the rest of the midfield. You no, know, Fabian Delph, David Silva, and Yaya Toure. Defensively, they were rotten against Leicester City. So much space in there. If you're giving that space to the likes of Christian Eriksen, Harry Kane, uh, you know, Deli Ali, uh, even Eric Lamella this season on the break, that is just you know that's going to be ludicrous. And Spurs, are, you know, could could pull off a,
2: a shot. Is it? At, it's at Tottenham, right? I don't. It's why White Hart Lane. I believe it is at Manchester City. It is at Man City. Mm. And that's why I'm feeling why, confident. Usually going to the Etihad is difficult,
4: but then now. the thing with City is their form at home has been ridiculously good. Their form away, apart from the Leicester City
2: defeat, apart from Leicester City. <laughs> um,
4: so it's going to be a corker. Who's Four. going to win? Go on, Spurs. I'm going
2: to or draw. I'm going to go City. I'm
4: sorry, oh, mate. Oh,
3: what? I'm
2: sorry, Lawrence. I'm sorry. I just, I'm going to go. I'm going to go Spurs. I've always liked you, Lawrence. Um, and <laughs> what about Arsenal Leicester, which is obviously a massive game? I think Leicester are going to win because I think. Arsenal won't change their style of play. They won't adapt to counter Leicester. And Leicester will take advantage of that. I think I'm going to go with a
5: draw.
2: Oh, I think Leicester are going to do it. And then, you know, it, it's on. It's like really. <laughs> it's really on. They're there. You know, they're going to do it. I really think they're going to do it. I feel like they're so much But, but that, they, This is a six pointer
3: because they're playing someone ways. who's on for the title. In many ways.
2: That's very exciting. Well, in one way. The... I'm going for Leicester to win. Dave, you're going for a draw. Lawrence, what are you going for? Massive game.
3: You know what's funny is you always make the prediction on the podcast, and afterwards you listen to it and go, "That's not what I meant."
5: I'm
3: Um, I'm so wrong. We almost need a podcast podcast, so like a post podcast podcast that when you listen to it, they go, "No, no, 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 no." Okay, now let's record the podcast. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, I'm going to go with Dave and go draw. I think it'll be like a one all. I think Arsenal have probably got the best chance of the three teams of uh, winning against Leicester. But I think, uh, I just think, I, I actually
4: think... They destroyed them, though. Arsenal did destroy them in the um, reverse
3: fixture, right? They won five, three. Good point, but that was a while ago nowadays. Mm.
2: True. Arsenal have only won one of the last five. Yeah. All Which is, it, so
3: this is classic Arsenal now. This the is Arsenal. now make or break.
2: <laughs> and when it's make or break for Arsenal, you wouldn't bank on them to, uh, yeah, to but get the
3: result they need. They, they always have that one result where it sort of goes, ah, make! And then ah, break! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, we're going to do
2: it. Oh, no, wait. It's we're going
3: to... Everybody! We've no. not been sucked over the edge of the water for... Oh, fuck! Uh, <laughs> and then obviously Arsenal are going into the Champions League as well. Indeed, oh, indeed. God, it's just... It's all set up for Arsenal to win this 1-2-1, one, one, isn't
4: it? <laughs> yeah, it's. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. I'm, going to, I'm going to change my prediction. I'm going to oh, unpredict my predict, and I'm going to say Arsenal are going to win. What, <laughs> what
3: a salesman. Lawrence wins <laughs> again. Wow, Jesus. Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
3: That's why I'm going to go Leicester. <laughs> you, you've changed as well. <laughs> no, all, all, all I'm saying, I think, it'll, I think it'll end the draw. But it, it, I've had that feeling too often this season where I've looked back at their
2: game and I've gone, of course it finished, you know, 5-3. <laughs> of course it did. Well, I'm going for Leicester win. Dave, you're going for an Arsenal win, apparently. Lawrence, you're going for yeah. a draw, the two guys who were wrong are buying the points next week. That's what I say.
4: Uh-oh. Anyway, okay. listen,
2: is. let us know your score predictions on Twitter. Hit us up at The Front Free. Get your questions in as well for Saturday's Q&A podcast. For now, though, we're moving on to the talking point. We're talking to Owen O'Callaghan about Gary Neville at Valencia. Owen, welcome to The Front Free. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So, the pressure is mounting on Gary Neville at the moment. Uh, nine league games, zero wins, back-to-back defeats against Real candidates sporting Hee I think that's how you say it. Um, but he's, uh, not to mention the 7-0 defeat to Barcelona in the Copa del Rey, first leg, I should say. It's not exactly going as planned at the moment, is it? Uh,
5: no, certainly not. I think Neville has always made a name for himself as a perfectionist and, and someone who has this incredible work ethic and drive and determination to succeed, no matter what the circumstance. But um, he's obviously finding that, that management um, is a little bit different. Um, you know, you, you don't get the same sort of benefits, um, you know, particularly when when you're young and experienced and raw as you would do when, when he was a player or when he was a pundit or, or whatever it was. Management has its own rules. And I think he's finding that out um, the hard way. I mean, I think when he arrived, he, he made a point of saying, listen, give me time and judge me uh, in a number of months um, and am not going to make up your minds within a couple of weeks and, and if results go a certain way um but i think that's prov- he's he's been proven to be absolutely correct actually because that's exactly what's happened um you know i think that there's there's a lot going on at valencia um it's it's a, it's an intriguing club for a number of reasons uh and essentially he walked into a little bit of a perfect storm um you know he he you know he's and it's i think it's funny because you know once the cracks start appearing there's very little wiggle room um you know it's very very easy for players to to start looking around and, and looking at uh, at maybe an atmosphere changing, Neville as a foreigner, as an outsider in there, um, someone who still struggles with communication issues. It's, it's it's very, very difficult to stem the bleeding once it starts. Um, and, and I think that uh, when you look at, at Neville and, and, and what, what what inevitably is going to happen here, um, you would have to fear for his job security at this stage.
3: Do you think we put a little bit too much importance on the manager sometimes? And the, I, I know obviously we're here to talk about Gary Neville, but you know when he first went in there it, w- it was very clear that the situation wasn't a great one at Valencia because of everything that was going on and it seems the English media because you know we we only really see Gary Neville and La Liga doesn't have the same prominence we give all the prominence it seems to Gary Neville and not maybe the other area which maybe requires a bit more research
5: yeah I think that I mean always you always probably work on this premise that managers are um, in charge of everything at a club and you know I think that when maybe even managers, particularly when they're inexperienced, go into places thinking that as well that, that they they walk into an organization and think well, I'm a manager here, so so therefore I have full control of everything. Um, and I'm sure that Neville probably felt that with his relationship with Peter Lim, um, that, that there was a kind of a, a, a support there for him, his brother already there. Um, but I think what he's finding out is that, I mean, particularly in the continent, you could argue, obviously, it's the same in Premier League clubs and, and in other leagues around the world. It's it's so political and that everything is kind of balanced on a knife's edge that, um, you know, you've got outside influences, you've got investors, you've got stakeholders Um, so that when you go into an office and you're plotting the weekend and you're preparing for a game, uh, doing your video analysis and your tactics and you walk into a dressing room, there's so many other elements at play. I mean, you look at Spain, you look at a club like Real Madrid, where it's not really about a manager. It's not about uh, tactical noose or whether or not you can coach a team, but it's about personality and it's about whether or not the owner likes you. Um, So I think that, that Neville, you know, you could probably argue that he's a little bit romantic um, I'm sure he probably claims of himself as, as okay. an eternal optimist. You know, he probably go into Valencia thinking I'm, I'm the right person for this job. I can do it. I can turn it around, I can I can make miracles. Um, because you look at, at what he's like as a personality. You know, I'm sure he. You know, you look at class of '92 as a prime example where he probably looked at Beckham. He looked at the players around him, thinking, oh, I, I can't survive here unless I work really hard and I can I can succeed and I can do it. Um, and when you start getting results like that, probably it feeds into your self confidence that you can go and you can. Magic anywhere um, but I think as I said at the top you, you know the more you watch football and the more you kind of invest your time in it the more that it's just such a, an, a, a, a a really really difficult thing to get your head around sometimes that there's there's no rational thinking really there's there's less and less rational thinking I think in football clubs these days anyway
2: what would you say is sort of the, the main reason it's going wrong for you in that way like, it, some people say this that the squads badly assembled it doesn't have the players. Um, to, to bring success to the club, you know, people saying there's Jorge Mendes, there's uh, fingerprints all over it, or some are pointing to the language barrier for Gary Neville?
5: I think that, I mean, it's, it's probably, a, a, you know, a, a number of those things, and you, you put them all together. I mean, I think, um, you know, the, the, the language, I mean, surely, I mean, you, you go into to a dressing room and you're trying to communicate with players, you're trying to communicate with staff. Um, you're trying to get a message across, and I think the big thing about Gary Neville is that he's so good at communicating. You know, he's such a good talker. He, I, I imagine, when you're in his presence. Um you know, you, uh, we've seen him on, on Monday Night Football. You know, he's, he's so analytical, very specific, very astute and intelligent with what he has to say. And that comes from language. And it's very, very difficult to do that in in, in your first language, not to mind the language that you're trying to learn. Um, I'm sure that he can only count on buzzwords for the moment to try to get a team um, pulling together on a pitch and, and trying to get across tactical instructions. <laughs> I, I think the general consensus is that performances have been really poor. Um, and I think that. Um, you, what we also have to remember is that I mean he's arrived mid season as well you, you know it comes back to to, to everything you know when, when he took that job originally that it, it just looked so difficult um and he, I mean players you know invest so much momentum you know and, and if you get a couple of results that are good suddenly things start to, to turn around and you've got players believing in themselves a bit for confidence um when he walks in there and you get a couple of bad results straight away um I think players are probably looking at him going uh, this isn't working out is it and no new manager bump, essentially, which might be a myth in the first place. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it's weird, isn't it, how, how you always, you, you anticipated that Neville was, was going to walk in, there was going to be an immediate response, but it almost seemed to be that even his draws were painted negatively. You know, he went on that run of, of kind of not winning games and yeah. he, while he's gone X amount of time without without a win in La Liga, um, and and you just kind of felt that was a bit funny. That well, okay, you know he's he's a, he's a man in a new environment, and it's a very very it's a very very uh, new for him. I mean, I remember in that that Yahoo column that I wrote, um, just mentioning Roy Keane, you know, when he took over at Sunderland, and and having to come to terms with things like Keane struggled to come to terms with the fact that he had an office and a secretary. Um, you know, the, these kind of weird things that, that, that come into your So, you know, you transplant that to a different country, a different city um, where you're trying to bed in and settle in and people are going, Neville, you've, you've you've drawn a couple, lad. You know, you've got to improve things here. You know, it, I just felt it was a little bit unfair and a bit misguided, but, um, you know, um, you know, um, when you find yourself in, you know, funk, it's 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 just so difficult to to struggle to, to get yourself out. And I mean, he's he's looking, he's just looking for a result. He's, he's he's almost like a goal scorer on a barren run. You know, you just you're just hoping that um, you're just hoping that uh, you know the, the a shot gets something affected, gets goes in or something, and suddenly yeah. you, you know, he has that feeling of of euphoria back. Um, and I think you know, you're looking ahead to the weekend and an Espanol game. You're just really, really desperately hoping that Neville gets one. Because he—he I, I, I just think that he made such a brave decision in, in going there in the first place um, that, that he's owed a bit of a break. And, and he's owed, um, at the very minimum, he's owed people kind of relaxing the criticism, even, even if it is just for a weekend. D-
3: Dave, statistically, have you looked into Valencia at all and how it's played out for Neville?
4: Uh, yeah, I think, well, obviously since he's taken over, he's got the worst record. He's only picked up um, five points in the league. Interestingly right. enough, though, Espanyol as well, they've only picked up five points in that same time frame. For me, it's a, there's a lack of goals, um, there's a lack of clean sheets. It's just all, it's not coming together. And I do think, you know, like it, it's a language barrier. I think that's a massive thing, you know, going to a, a new, it's a new profession for him in a way. You know, he has done the TV stuff, but now he's going into this new profession of actually being a manager. You know, it was touched on before, similar to the Roy Keane stuff. Are we going to see that the whole of the class of 92 can't actually manage and they were only good players?
3: Well, I mean, it is, that's hard, isn't it, though, to, to compare the two because, you know, these, are, these would all still be very young managers, even if they were just coming into management and hadn't played at all. They'd still be cutting their teeth. And that's what makes me think, does Neville see it slightly differently to the way that everyone else is painting it? I know he would obviously always say he takes the job very seriously. But, you know, I'd be interested to know what you think about the idea that Neville has always been a very practical footballer, like you were saying. Does he see this as, as a practice in football? And essentially, he was afforded time and uh, some experimentation by Peter Lim because, well, what else did Valencia have? They they were losing out anyway. So it was almost a risk which, you know, if it goes wrong for Neville, there's almost very little bad that can happen because he can go back to a punditry job or he can go back to coaching England. And then a few years down the line, he's got the experience of being at a top club. He's made connections. And essentially, Gary Neville's reputation isn't really ruined by this because it's already a club that's in crisis.
5: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, when he took the job initially, you know, he's, he, I think he was, he was quite philo- philosophical in, in the fact that he said that whatever this would be, it would be an experience, uh, you know, and, and, and he would probably look, look to it as, as a big curve. <laughs> what car.
3: an experience.
5: What an experience, isn't it? Um, and I remember when he took the job, I, I wrote a piece about um, how Neville, you know, is the unlikely lad. You know, he's, 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 always, he's always been that way that you look at his footballing career, he never looked like a footballer. You know, he, he never, you know when you compare, obviously, you probably would say, well, did Nicky Butt look like a footballer? Which isn't a good counter argument. Um, no one knows uh, what the, Nicky Butt looks like now. Yeah, yeah so in the, the grand context of a class of 92, that, that Neville always felt that he had ground to make up. And, and, you know, Lee Sharp always told that story about, you know, Neville practising his, his throws against the, the wall of the cliff. You know, that, you know, when Sharpie was going out on the raz. Um, but um, you know, I think I think that um, you know what 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 you see with Neville now is 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 his pride being dented a little bit because um, I think you always pride yourself on 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 an ethic and, and you know he probably feels that he's in some way he's cracked this football thing you know he's he's played the game he's won an enormous amount he's gone into point three and it's been a success um, and everything else that he's done in his career you look at the external interests the hotel business helping the homeless. Um, he, he, you know, he, he really has made a success of, of lots of things that people have found immensely difficult. Um, so I think that, that when he finds himself in this kind of, in this sort of situation, um, and, and particularly in the Spanish press, when, you know, he's based locally, um, obviously he has a reputation in the UK, which is fine, In Spain, well, he's just a bit of a Johnny foreigner. He's an outsider. Um, Probably you'd you'd have a a large portion of that Valencia fan base who didn't really want him to be at the club anyway. So it it would be immensely interesting to to know when he's there going into work, you know, and into a training session first thing in the morning, how much he's absorbing of that kind of negativity that's around him because players are so good at compartmentalizing. Uh, you know, f- pushing criticism far away that they don't have to worry about it. But when you're a management, when you're manager and when you're you're bearing the brunt all the time, surely that begins to seep in. And I'm, and I'm sure Neville is beginning to feel that in a slightly different way that he's never had before. I'm not sure. Uh,
2: Lawrence, you were sort of saying there about how uh, his reputation is almost untarnished. I yeah. mean, would you agree? that? Like, I'd say, I don't agree with that at all. I'd say his reputation has taken a bit of a battering.
3: For who? For who, who would you say rates never lower because of what he's done at Valencia. Obviously the
2: Spanish press press and the Spanish fans
3: The Spanish press, press you might as well ask the cat (laughs) <laughs> it's not it's not worth it's not the worth of papers Sorry, written in a you've just
2: the been completely uh no, written but, um, there, by are that. there are
3: certain people you respect in spain but then there's also people who write ridiculous things and they're so changeable it's the same as a lot of the uk presses so if i don't care about but what I my, my reputation is everyone... like in the sun it's a rag i don't care about what my reputation is like to rupert murdoch but say he's, regardless he's a of who cares regardless
2: <laughs> of how you feel about the Sun, whether you rate them or not the media is obviously very powerful and influential and when everyone in Spain is criticising Neville, and people over here are now starting to argue how his reputation has been tarnished. It doesn't matter whether you rate them. That influence is having... But
3: the point, but the point is, reputation is so changeable like that. Reputation changes in a, in a few seconds. And how long has he been t- there
2: for? What, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks?
3: But that'll that be my point, is that with, with time, time's a great healer for these sorts of things. You imagine that when Neville then steps back away from this job, then that'll change I, I just don't, I think the, the media is so interested in putting itself at the centre of all this and being the ones that say, you've had your reputation, tarnished. We remember what happened when uh, John Terry was at the centre of the whole, you know, should he be England captain thing? Where did the pressure come from? Didn't come from internally at the FA, didn't come from Chelsea, didn't come from John Terry himself. It came from a baying press that wanted to see him fail, that wanted to see his downfall because it sells papers And if you can change someone's reputation, you've got a media narrative that you can sell papers for weeks for.
5: What
2: do you make of that? And And
3: it's bollocks.
5: People want to see Neville fail. I, I, the, I think there's always a lot of people who are ready to say I told you so. Um, I think, but 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 I I, I do feel that um, I do feel that that everything changes so quickly in football. Um, and, and I think that that's what, I mean, people don't remember, it, you know, it's, it's like, um, not to bring it all back to something I've written, but um, in that Yahoo column about Neville, like I mentioned, uh, Andrew Viesboas as an example, you know, when he came to the Premier League, um, at 33 years old, you know, he just won a Portuguese title in the Europa League. And 33, I mean, it's only when you, you say it now out loud, you go, that is absolutely ridiculous. Comes to a Premier League and, and already he's painted as a little bit strange. You know, he stayed late hours exactly. in ground. Um, and, exactly. And he's kind of portrayed as, as a different character and suddenly something to be suspicious of. Um, and, the and same with Benito's in London. Journalists, when he first came
3: to Chelsea, were saying, I didn't realise he was so nice. And you're like, well, you're not doing your job then, mate.
2: That's yeah. who- I'm not saying these papers uh, and uh, that the media is right, but I'm saying they have an influence.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, I I then it's wrong. <laughs>
2: kind of where Neville's coming from, then, right? He's the first,
4: um, you know, TV TV pundit that's moved into being a manager, and now he is getting sort of challenged by, you know, Hearn and Crespo, and the press is saying, "Oh, Neville was too harsh on players," but no, he wasn't. He was doing the right thing. I think it's just that like Ian was saying, it's a, it's that development, and it's the, it, he might have failed this time, but next time he'll come back and he'll be stronger and he would have worked harder on his, you know, maybe his management, like the sort of, you know, the the Roy Keane type stuff again working on the little things the little factors to get players up that, that's a massive thing as well the communication how do you put your ideas across in, in Spanish when you've, you know, you've learnt Spanish for what probably like a month two months how can you explain like tactical intricacies to those players
3: well because maybe he, he would have learned from other people who had expressed themselves in other languages and having worked with a number of coaches and you know I know he was, his entire time Manchester United was under Sir Alex yeah. There were a lot of languages that went through there in that time, and he's seen managers. He's seen managers and people communicate in foreign languages, and still manage to tell a player, "This is what I
2: want." Let me let me ask you this, though. Know, we're talking about the whole Gary Neville situation. Do you think he made a mistake in going to Valencia? That it was uh, such a huge task, that it was almost a lose lose situation for
5: him. You? Um, you know what? I think I, I think the more that you you look around the football industry and, and, and the more you're kind of part of it, whether or not you want to be or not, um, the more you really respect people who make brave decisions. Um, and, and I think that because, you know, it's such a closed shop at times, um, you know, you look at, at the same managerial merry-go-round, particularly at championship clubs and lower leagues, you know, the same kind of managers crop up just at different clubs. It's like um, uh, Neil Warnock this morning, linked with Rotherham, you know, these same faces crop up. Um, particularly in the in the wider context of, of young coaches. I, I, I do feel that um, there's a bit of a, a, a weirdness that's creeping into a game. You saw it with Derby this week and Paul Clement. Um, young coaches who are, are intelligent and astute and, and need time to develop, surely you need to nurture them the same way that, that young players who show potential, you want to wrap them in cotton wool. I think that um, the, the big thing about someone like Gary Neville is he 's a young guy, but so beloved by so many people within the game and now he 's had this situation that, that the football that football in some ways kind of spat him back out a little bit um, whereas you know he, he you know as, as someone who, who has so much to give and so much to offer um, he's kind of he 's kind of been shunned and, and, he, and uh, he certainly hasn 't been allowed the time to to, to properly flourish i 'm saying this with with an inevitable kind of sacking in in his short term I, I would presume. Um, you know maybe I'll be proved wrong on that um, so I think that's that's the one thing but never I, I, I really can't see him having made a mistake uh, I don't think that he'll look upon it as a mistake either even even though it, it'll probably end in in people tagging him as a failure or um, you know something like that um, I'm sure that he'll be very open about it as well you know you know if that day comes when he's sat by, by Valencia I'm sure he will be uh, in a column with a newspaper or on TV with Sky or someone else. Talking about what he felt went wrong, what he felt uh, you know went against him, and maybe something that he didn't do right, um, and that maybe he's learned. I think he's very open about stuff like that. He's he's a bit of a talker, um, and and I'm sure that, that 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 that's what we'll hear from Neville, and I, I really can't see him um, saying that this was anything other than a, a positive step and something to to kind of progress his career with ultimately.
3: His hard work has earned him that. Where do you think Valencia
5: go from here? That's a big question, isn't it? Um, yeah. I I think I was I was looking at you know I was looking at this from kind of a Valencia angle the other day where you're always faced with this situation where are we now so close to relegation that we have to think about sacking Neville and replacing someone to keep us in the top flight? Um, and, that's, and he says that, he's free. Yeah, um, it's 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 a strange one, and and you, you know what you're hoping as well. You're, you're looking at what March is around the corner. Um, you know, two months left of a season, um, you know, you're looking for someone to go in. You're obviously looking as your next manager someone to go in there with a vast amount of experience who will uh, who has a reputation and will get an instant response from players. So I'm sure the shortlist is particularly small of candidates who could do that at a club like Valencia. Um, Benitez is is an obvious name. Um, but you have to look at, at the ownership of, of this this decision as well. Um, you know, to, to bring in a novice... You know, at an early juncture, or well, midway through a season, um, and and to see where the club has gone, I you know, I really ultimately, yeah, Neville shoulders some of the blame, but there has to be a, a collective um, decision made higher up um, in terms of here's a young coach may not go according to plan for a first few months. You know, obviously, um, you know that's that's a, a collective decision that needs to be scrutinised. Um, so as much as Neville is, is the fall guy, um, you have to look at, at, at the, the, the other people responsible uh, for putting him in that position to begin with as well.
2: You mentioned your column earlier for Yahoo! and you were sort of talking about, uh, in that, about the big concern is the treatment of young managers, as you've mentioned there. So is the problem almost not uh, you know, the issues that Neville faces at Valencia, but the issues in the wider game as a whole? We're talking about the media there, we're talking about how young managers don't last more than a few months, they never given a chance. Is that the bigger concern? You know, I,
5: like, I have to say, I mean, you, you look at this season, particularly the last couple of months, um, you know, Gary Monk at Swansea, you know, you know, Gary Monk wasn't afforded a bad patch, you know, as in he was experiencing a bad patch with Swansea, but it resulted in his, in his dismissal. You know, as in the window is so small now where, you know, Gary Monk had so much credit at Swansea. He was so much in credit for what he had done. He had kept them up when he took over from Loudrup, which didn't look like it was going to happen for a long time. Uh, in his second season, he gets them eighth in the Premier League. Uh, season, you know, uh, This season begins. Swansea started the campaign very, very brightly. Uh, you know, some newspapers whispering it gently. Uh, that, it, that it wouldn't be outside the realms of possibility that Gary Monk could be teed up for, for the post-Hodgson um, England setup, Um And then you fast-forward a couple of months later and Monk is out of a job. Um, and and you look at, well, Swansea, you know, a, a club icon um, had had given so much to them. Uh, as a coach, I mean, what's the worst thing that he did for Swansea? You know, experience a, a, a rough spell. Every manager goes through it. Swansea got rid of him um you know you you would you would have to say that that that's absolutely insane stuff um you know you Paul Clement this week uh you know if anyone could tell me Mel Morris's interview with BBC and that it made any sense whatsoever i mean the guy i mean i've watched it about six or seven times now he's saying you can't that, figure it out <laughs> well, listen i mean it was too short term for us what paul wanted to do get us in the premier league uh, like what? Like what? I thought every manager game was to get them to the Premier. League. I, I mean, I'm so sort of lost for words. Um, you, Paul, basically, what you're doing was you were doing too good a job. That's what. That's why we're getting rid of you. You didn't even in the Derby way. I mean, what is the Derby way? For goodness' sake, is that the same as the West Ham way? For
2: South Paradise? is that the problem? Then that sort of in football at the moment, the rewards are so huge. Be it Premier League promotion, be it you know avoiding relegation and getting a slice of that TV money. The rewards are so huge. The risk is there as well, and that's why chairmen and clubs panic and then make these decisions that sort of don't give young managers a chance. I
5: mean, obviously, it. I mean, it's it's such a. I mean, I always bring it back to other other jobs. I know that management in football is is, is just a law unto itself. But imagine if imagine if you went into the office and you, you know you begin a new job and you're 21 or 22 and, and you're just out of college, um, <laughs> and basically you're, you're you're tipping away for three months. You made a few errors, and the manager comes in and says. Um, listen, to be honest, that email last week, it should have gone out at 3 o'clock rather than 5 o'clock. Uh, it's been nice knowing you, its it's been great, uh, but, you know, sorry about that. We might see each other again down the road, um, if you want to clear out your desk, you know. And you're like, hang on a second, what? And it's kind of like that. You're allowed one mistake. You're allowed, you know, it's it's just, there's just no wiggle room. And, and there's nothing that managers can say anymore. You can't come out and say, uh, well, to be honest, every manager goes through rough spots. You know, show me a manager that doesn't struggle. I'll show you a lawyer, or, you know, something that doesn't exist. You can't say that because someone's like, oh, well, he's just shifting the blame, isn't he? Uh, you know, so it, it's it's. Um, I mean, I think w- when it comes to the young managers thing, I think the, the general point I want to make is: if you look at someone like Ryan Giggs at your Manchester United, who kind of is 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 in the shadows, and everyone's like, oh, every Brian Robson, oh, you should give it to Giggs. Why would Ryan Giggs take that job, even if he wanted it? I mean, what, what is it. the best case scenario for Ryan Giggs? Um, you'll have Manchester United supporters, you know, turning around within six months, going. Uh, this is. I mean, we're fifth in the league. We're fifth in the league. We had it better under Van Gaal. We actually had it better under Moyes. I mean, he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. Um, you know, it's, it's um, even Klopp at Liverpool, I mean, I've made the prediction that come next season, if Liverpool, you know, after six or seven games of next term, aren't going particularly well, maybe find themselves ninth or tenth, you'll have Liverpool fans going, oh, he's lost it. He's lost the plot, this Klopp, lad. He's not no, got it. He's lost it. He's gone. You cash him in. Get, get him someone get Simeone get Simeone instead you know it's it, and it's, it's so instead of and, and Klopp is obviously a slightly older example than of the other names we've been talking about so
3: I think the no, Klopp Klopp is obviously slightly different and then there's also uh, any any older manager because Klopp has that sort of age behind him it, it management is almost an old man's game in a way because you need that respect you need that experience you need that time under your belt. And it would seem that a lot of people want these young managers to do well, but it's almost an oxymoron in that sense. Because, you know, you were saying, you know, if you send a bad email or something, then that's bad. But the point is then some, what most people say, you will be the player in that situation. If you send a bad email, that's you missing a goal. That's mismanagement. So it, it's about how you manage young people, essentially. And I think we're very quick to rush these people through. Why not give Neville a decade? You know, I've been in his 50s by then that's a good time to go into management there are not everyone can be Pep Guardiola and at some point you know I'm not saying everyone can not reach those levels but at the same time there's only very few people that can because there are very few opportunities like that so uh, maybe this is the the apex of what we can expect right now for a lot of young managers it's not ideal
2: but it's also you know it's not the worst right that's all we've got time for I mean thank you very much for joining us
5: uh no problem guys uh and time, it's been great so yeah where can, we, where can we find your work
3: online? If people like what you said, where would they go? Uh, well, probably Twitter is
5: the best bet because uh, yeah. I'll throw uh, all the links up there. But um, I, I have a, a regular column for Yahoo. Um, so um, that, that, can, that can be plugged. And I, I write for an Irish sports website here called um, the42.ie. Um, so yeah, feel free to, 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 to plug away. The guys will be very happy with that. There you have it.
2: Fascinating stuff from Owen there. I think we're going to have to have him back again. On. I love his accent as well. Yeah, mm. I do love an Irish accent. Top fella. Anyway, listen up, guys. If you want to let us know your thoughts, your feelings, your suggestions, get us on Twitter at The Front Free. Make sure you follow Owen as well. Send him some love. Lawrence, if the people want to follow you, where should they go? Uh,
3: go to at loscast on uh, Twitter, L-O-Z-C-A-S-T. Someone just tweeted me this morning, I want Lozcast job. And I thought, wow. do you know what my job is?
2: I'm <laughs> not sure he knows. I'm
4: not sure anyone does. Dave,
2: where can the good people find you?
3: Um, if you
4: type in S-Q-U-A.
2: Is that A- it? Oh, K-A- <laughs>
4: <K-A-B-E>. Just having <laughs> All right. one of those days. Spelling isn't going quite right today, guys.
2: I yeah, apologise. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood. Remember, we're going to be back on Saturday with the Q&A podcast and next week. I'm very excited because we've got Professor Simon Chadwick wow. on the podcast. I know we us. said it would be this week, but it wasn't. We're sorry. We, we really wanted to get a great Orange. guest, and this guy is going to be incredible. So next week, we'll be talking about China, the growth of football.
1: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweaters starting at $50
2: in the Far East and how it's affecting European football. Until Saturday, we'll see you later.